filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So I'm going to have my head shaved next month. <laughs> you are. This is, this is still very weird to me. You do have some luscious uh, locks, so that's going to be I do. I love, you. I'm really, I'm, I'm not generally vain. When it comes to my hair, I'm hella vain. I love my hair. It is longer than it probably needs to be because I really like it. And because now I'm not getting it cut because in what? two weeks, three weeks, March 13th. I, it's all getting chopped off um, to benefit children's cancer research. Yay. Um, for those of you who haven't seen on the website, I am uh, participating in the St. Baldrick's foundation, St. Baldrick's day, 2016, which means I am raising money for uh, childhood cancer research and not for uh, childhood cancer, not for childhood cancer. Childhood cancer sucks. And we should find ways to prevent it and cure it and help kids recover from it after we kill it. Um, and, and so I'm raising money. There's a, a story on blackandredunited.com about it. Ben, I would appreciate if you put a link to it in the show page for, for this episode um, as well. And yeah, so we're raising money. We don't typically ask for money from listeners on this show, but... I would certainly appreciate it if you donated to the cause. Um, ben, stop shaking your head. Shameless is okay when... No, no, no. I'm shaking, I'm shaking my head at you because you thought I wouldn't link it automatically without you having to tell me. Well, I want that was my way of also letting the listeners know who didn't get to us from the the website, people on iTunes and, and Stitcher and other venues that there is a link if they they search for filibuster and find the website that way they can they can find it so that was my way of surreptitiously telling all of them that it would be there and also expressing my appreciation for you that you would do that hey hey welcome in this is filibuster the black and red united podcast i am adam taylor joined as always by the underappreciated ben bromley and uh, Jason Anderson as well, who is appreciated exactly the right amount. We are all That's from blackandredunited.com. <laughs> you are not appreciated the right amount. Are you over or underappreciated? I, I think I think extremely under. <laughs> and Ben says extremely over. So almost gonna, almost criminally underrated. We're going to take the average and say you're you're on the spot. Um, we're all from blackandredunited.com. Tonight we are talking about DC United and Corretero. DC United lost two to nothing in the first leg of their CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal. We're going to talk about that and we're going to preview the second leg on Tuesday night here in DC at RFK Stadium. After we do that, we are going to have an MLS look-see with Matt Doyle from MLSsoccer.com. You might know him better as the armchair analyst. He will join us to look around the rest of the league. Before we do anything, though, Ben, what is that concoction you're holding? What are you drinking? Uh, it's a concoction called a gold rush. Uh, I wanted to, I, 
Sometimes I go a little rote, I go a little pat, go a little chalk if you want to use the upcoming March Madness uh, verbiage. I don't. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, Purdue doesn't usually go to March Madness, so why would you know? Except, yes, yes, they do. You are not in a position to make that taunt. Yeah, Mr. (laughs) William and Mary. But at least we're hilariously bad. And, and uh, Purdue is ranked in the top 20, and, so... And in, and in two weeks, likely we will be listening to me watching William & Mary lose in the final again, as is our yearly tradition. <laughs> it it really is, at this point, a thing that happens every single year, somehow, we record the night that that game happens. Well, it's, 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 it's always, on, awesome. it's always on Monday night. The CAA final is always on Monday night, and for the past four years, William & Mary has been in it, and for the past four years, William & Mary has lost... That doesn't so, sound hilariously bad. That sounds tragically bad. Like I bad mean, at the worst possible time. It is tragic. So, but yeah. not hilarious. I mean, it's not hilarious. Hilariously bad would be like, you know, never even getting close. It's, it's hilariously bad because if it weren't hilarious, I would just sob. So that's why it's You hilarious. and Northwestern. <laughs> and Army and Citadel. Those are the four. <laughs> they write an article about it every year. I've already read So tell me about this gold rush. Yes, so the gold (laughs) rush, not William & Mary Basketball. This is not the William & Mary Basketball (laughs) podcast. Uh, It is... Try as Ben might. No, I don't want to because I'm just going to jinx them. Anyways, it has bourbon, it has honey, it has lime juice, and it has... uh, And it was uh, shaken up in a shaker with ice in it. It's always important to have it shaken up. (laughs) Shooken, Maybe. Jason, save Ben. What are you drinking? Okay. Um, I actually bought a bunch of stuff at the liquor store, but I was kind of thinking of making a margarita of some kind. Um, but instead, I did not have time to do any of that. So I have a pretty much the opposite of a margarita, I think, which is uh, Flying Dog's Canine Winter Ale. Um, it's a yeah. pretty excellent winter ale, even though the weather today was not really appropriate for it since it's not really wintry anymore. It probably will come back. I assume since we can't have anything just uh, run in sort of a pattern, we just get the snow followed by 60 degree days followed by like a borderline monsoon winter, uh, winter natives. Yeah. I don't know. Starecho. I don't know what the hell's going on anymore, but this yeah, is a pretty I mean, good. Winter, I know make it, at least one, maybe two more attempted comebacks this year. I expect. Yeah. Don't call That's it a comeback. It tends to go. That's what winter would have you say. Yeah. Uh, tonight, I, you know, I'm celebrating the the start of the season, even if the result wasn't what we wanted. With my really, really nice Michter's limited release barrel strength uh, rye whiskey, that is really, really delicious. And I'm actually really sad because my cork uh, in it broke when I tried to open it this oh, evening. It sucks. Yeah, and so I had to get a corkscrew to kind of get the rest of it out and a couple of bits fell into it and I couldn't get them out. It was, it was very sad, but the whiskey is very delicious. So I'm going to call that one uh, a push as far as uh, success or failing. It's just like you, Jason. I appreciate it exactly the right amount. Listeners bring cheesecloth to our next meetup so that Adam can filter his whiskey properly next time. Or, or Adam just bring something else. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I I will not be bringing this bottle. I love you guys and I love our listeners. I am not sharing this. You don't bring the good stuff uh, to that. No, no, you do not bring the really good stuff to the tailgate. That is a cardinal rule of tailgates in general. Uh, Adam, before we go on, uh, since we talked about college basketball already, 
should, should you and I have some kind of bet having to do with the fact that Maryland and Purdue are playing in like two days? Um, yes. Well, this game, this one will actually be at Mackey Arena, which yes. which I think favors my it's Boilers. A it's a different. They it's will a, not be using. They will not be using a, a a totally different ball than everyone else in the country. That's not the only reason Maryland is a difficult place to play. No, it's also a really great arena. But that ball that no one else uses is also an advantage. Let's get to yes. the bet so we can get to soccer. Come on. Jason, what did you have in mind? I don't know, like a beer? <laughs> yeah, okay. Sure. Okay. All right, beer it is. Well, that was... Totally that was a little antic, anticlimactic, yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's talk about soccer. DC United has themselves a hole to climb out of in their CONCACAF Champions League quarterfinal series after dropping the first leg two to thing in Carretero. Goals in the 71st minute from Yerson Candelo and the 83rd minute from Edgar Benitez assisted by Senia, along with some crazy shots stopping by Tiago Volpi and the woodwork uh, were the difference in this one. Uh, Jason, are you disappointed with the result? Are you encouraged that United actually looked uh, competent throughout this game? Two moments, one moment of genius and one moment of not genius, notwithstanding. Uh, I mean, I, I, you you lose two nothing in the first leg, and it's never something you're going to feel great about. Um, so it's a mixed bag. Uh, I think the performance, given the context of playing your season opener against a Mexican club at altitude with a midfield that has one player has played the position uh, he played last night or Tuesday night. Um, that was Rolf De Leon played a new position. Sarvas and Niarco are playing their making their competitive debuts. Um, Luciano Costa, Julian Buescher, Rob Vincent, all those guys were making their first DC United appearance ever in, in that context. Um, so when you look at it from that angle, it's a better performance than I think people would have expected. Um, if you told me it was two, nothing, and didn't tell me anything else, I would have expected United hung on for dear life and lost 2 nothing. and that's not really what happened at all. Um, they ended up actually out-shooting Corretoro, at least on shots to goal. I don't remember if and, he... And on gross shots. On shots. Okay. Um, which is not something United fans are really used to at all. Um, last year, even when United played well, they tended to give up more shots than they took. Um, so... It's good to see them produce. I mean, granted, some of those shots were not the best choice. Um, Fabian Espindola took uh, three or four long-range shots that he really shouldn't have that were just a waste. Yeah. Um, but Rolf had one that was just ridiculous. Right. Um, so, you know, at least that one, there was a chance that, like, it's Rolf taking a volley. You let him have it. And if he messes up, you, you know that the next one will be fine. Um, but at the same time, it's good to see them producing shots with, you know, Espindola didn't play well at all, I don't think. Um, Niarco really didn't get involved in the game very much, and they still managed to create a lot of chances. Um, and, you know, granted, set-piece chances are, are a heavy part of that, but um, I think as a performance, it was definitely ahead of what I expected to see. And I think, um, and there were plenty of people who noticed this, but the, the national soccer Twitter uh, reaction core, the group that... Well, the, the group that saw the game for what it was and were like, well, this DC team is more interesting than they were last year. Um, I think that's uh, uh, Charles Boehm said that pretty much verbatim, said the team was more interesting to watch, which is true because of Acosta, because there's some speed on the wings, um, because there's a little more uh, technical ability in the middle. I mean, Sarvas and De Leon might not be 
uh, as good defensively as Kitchen and Arnaud, but they're better soccer players. Um, they're better with the ball. So in a lot of ways, it's further ahead than I was hoping or that I was really even hoping to see. Um, at the same time, that's not no one's going to tell you that it was a great performance and they were terribly unlucky. It's just, you know, they played all right. They played better than expected. And if not for a little luck here and there, maybe they get away with the draw. Maybe they get a goal somewhere in there. But uh, as much as I hate to lose in the Champions League, I can't get too down because the performance was just a significant step ahead of what I was thinking we were going to see. But Jason, hot take Twitter just said it was same old United from last year. Right. Well, I mean, those people didn't pay attention to the game, I guess. I mean, there's no way around it. Like, if you paid attention to that game, you would not be thinking, oh, it's the same DC that played New York in the playoffs and, and like, just tried to destroy soccer as a whole. Um, yeah, 19 shots on goal kind of puts the and, lie to that one. You know, attempting to pass the ball, connecting passes, uh, things like that. I wish... Um, I checked who scored for passing percentages. They did not have them up, and I didn't have time to go uh, one by one and counting passes completed and completed on MLS's uh, um, chalkboard. But they were yeah, definitely – the ball was on the ground a lot more, and there was an attempt to use possession both to create and also to take the air out of the ball a little bit and keep Corretto from getting going, which is how they got 70 minutes into that game with zero with zero. Yeah, United's passing percentage on the overall was, I think, below 7%. It wasn't great by any means, but they also weren't just booting it up the field time and again or uh, putting it out to the wings and just trying to get people to chase it and then just defending in a in a bunker the whole time. Uh, Jason mentioned that we had two real box-to-box midfielders in this one with Nick DeLeon and, and Marcelo. Sarvas in the middle. Ben, how did you think the two of them did? I, we all expected Halsty to, to get the starter. A lot of people expected Halsty to get the start probably with Sarvas in the middle. And that obviously didn't happen. What did you make of that decision? Uh, overall, I thought it was a good decision. I thought that Sarvas played very well. Uh, his performance on one of the goals, uh, slightly accepted, but he was trying to get up into the attack. Uh, but his overall performance was uh, really quite good. He was a, uh, I feel like he was a better version of Davy Arnaud than Davy Arnaud has been. And he really showed why the LA Galaxy held on to him for so long and showed what escaping from Colorado can do for your soccer <laughs> career uh, and bring you back into goodness and light. And with uh, Nick DeLeon, I think, I mean, Yes, he's still learning the central midfield position. It's it's that's obvious. Uh, he he he'll make some mistakes, but if Ben Olsen wants to stick with this, I think he does have the makings of a good central midfielder. Uh, he is uh, quick at passing. He is quick in movement and quick in thought. He can uh, burst ahead and and get things moving. And I think he's. If given the chance, he can really become a good uh, box-to-box midfielder. He's active and uh, excited, and I think I, th- I think he he can keep himself ahead of Marcus Halsty, uh, given this team and given the way that Ben Olsen wants to play in a more proactive, a more exciting style this year. So, I think overall the midfield was decent. I mean, obviously they there's work they need to do, but. 
for the first competitive game and some of the first minutes that these two have gotten together, I think it was pretty decent. The understanding between them and between the the wide midfielders wasn't perfect, but it was interesting to see them interchanging with not just with each other, but with Patrick Nierko and Chris Rolfe from time to time. When Marcelo got forward uh, before Caretro's first goal, the rotation back wasn't perfect, but you did see that Nierko kind of held back and pinched inside, and, and Rolfe did the same thing on the left from time to time. Um, it was interesting to see, and I'm curious to see if, if there's more of that, because that means people are popping up in unexpected places, and that is usually a good thing for the offense. Um, Jason, subs substitutions were difference makers in this one, for better and for worse. Uh, Candelo came on for the injured Emmanuel Villa uh, in the first half, and scored the opener uh, in the 71st minute. And Julian Buescher, DC United rookie, uh, came on for uh, Lucho Acosta and made the mistake that the critical mistake that arguably led to the second goal for Caretro uh, peeling off of Senia and letting him turn and make an uncontested pass over the back line. What did you make of, of Buescher's debut in particular? And, and do you think that that was the that he should have been in the game at that point. Cause I know a lot of people were not happy to see when he did. Um, I mean, I think Acosta probably was running out of gas. Um, I don't know that he was completely out at that point. Um, I think at that stage of the game, if you're going to change one of the front two, it should have been a Saborio coming in for a spindola. Um, yeah. A spindola just did not have a good game. Um, and I know, there's always the the instinct with a player like him is to say, even when he's playing bad, you might just leave him out there because he might just come up with something out of, out of nowhere. But in this particular game at that stage, it's already one nothing. Um, when Buescher came in, I think it would have been better to leave Acosta in for a few more minutes. Um, I think the issue on the goal, because like, Buescher didn't really have that much else to do. He wasn't really that much involved with anything else from there because the game got kind of stretched when United got tired. Um, but on the goal itself, um, it's kind of an awkward play because his back was to Senior first, and then he kind of curls around to the wrong side of Senior. Sort of, I think at first I was like, I don't know what he even was thinking. But then later, I kind of, after seeing it a few times, I think he was expecting Senior to try and like take a touch in that direction to sort of change his passing angle. And he overcommitted badly to that. Um, I also don't know how much, um, like how quickly he is, how quick he would be to recognize Senior rather than somebody else. You know, I'm sure the coaching staff said, you know, number 10, don't let him, uh, hit, hit the pass, you know, make sure you're under, you're pressuring him. But if you're coming around a man and you just see someone in a black jersey, maybe you don't see the number, you know, Buescher's not, it's not like Buescher's been playing for a few years and recognizes Senior's face, um, so he might not have in that moment realized who was on the ball and he might have just taken up a position that was, you know, obviously not good for United. Um, I think it's not a sign of things to come. I, I hope that people aren't like, well, he made this mistake and that's that um, he's no good. Um, I do wonder if he should have been in the game at that point. Um, but someone up front had to be changed and I can see the logic in removing Acosta rather than Espindola because Acosta is still new to the team 
And maybe at that point in the game, you're worried that he's still going to be taking risks. Maybe this is something that echoes back to Facundo Coria, um, who at that point in the game would absolutely still be taking risks. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's an unfortunate moment for Buescher, but I think he can recover from it. Um, I think he'll, he'll learn the lesson from what happened there. And, and next time we'll see more recognition of that. Um, I'm sure the coaching staff is going to bring it up. It's not like this team, you know, Davey Arnold said it was the most prepared team he ever played on. Um, so this will be something that they look at film on or film like they use a film projector. Um, they'll fire up a computer uh, with video on it and they'll look at it and they'll detail exactly what he should have done. And um, it's not great now, but maybe this is something that carries on as a lesson for the future. And if, if Buescher is going to get the, these minutes uh, in that position over Colin Martin, um, he's going to have to defend well. Um, so he's got to learn, learn that because when you're, when you're leading and you're, you're subbing out your attacking midfielder for mostly for fresh legs purposes, the person coming in has to do the defensive work. So not a good moment for, for him certainly, but you know, I, I, I don't want to be pessimistic and say it's an indicator of things to come because it's not like when he right. was in college, he was known as a, defensively irresponsible player at Syracuse. He was known for being a box to box kind of guy who really put in the extra work and wasn't just running around like an idiot. Um, so I think this was just a mistake that this is kind of an isolated mistake, but you know, we still have to see this might be something that he needs to learn over time. It might take two or three months before he's starting to figure this sort of thing out. Steve Birnbaum had Two really good opportunities. Uh, first half where he, he got a header on a bouncing ball in the box that was saved off the crossbar uh, by Volpe. And then it, later he had a, forced a double save out of the keeper, um, first with the header and then on the rebound with, with a shot. And they were both just this must be what it feels like to play against Bill Hamid. They were that level of saves. One was a great reaction save and one was a, a fantastic double reaction save. Um, ben, are you, I, I assume you are encouraged that, that Birnbaum kept his set piece danger going from us national team camp. Yes, definitely. I mean, in, in the past for DC United, uh, Steve Birnbaum's uh, offensive abilities have been, off target, it's been close, but it's been always been off target. Uh, for the USA, he scored some, scored the goal, and then for DC United here, all of his shots, uh, as, I mean, especially in the double save, those were on target shots that only great saves could have prevented from going in the goal. So that is a much, that is definitely a step up from where he's been the past two years for DC United. So that is good to see. I think we're definitely going to see him score some goals uh, this year. And given the fact that this team doesn't have a out-and-out goal scorer, it's going to have to come from a bunch of different people. Seeing that this early from Steve Birnbaum is nothing but a good thing. Uh, Jason, you talked about uh, Luciano Acosta a little bit earlier. He was very active in his debut. Some people came away saying he's going to be a stud in the league. Um, we, there were obviously moments where the chemistry and understanding between him and, uh, uh, Spindola weren't, wasn't there, but it looks like they both have 
they both have a lot of ideas and I feel like when they get on the same page, it'll be pretty fun to watch. Yeah, I, I think that's that's where this is going. Um, I think it's going to be a lot like the Rolf Spindola partnership, where the danger springs up in different positions uh, because a Spindola doesn't hold to the center. Um, so you've got a lot of roaming around, and a lot of those two even switch positions a lot, where a Spindola would come underneath of Acosta. Um, the fact that Acosta has some breakout speed uh, that helps quite a bit. That changes the equation for those for that that attacking pairing. Um, and we saw Acosta go into the middle a few times. He he had a shot that produced a rebound that Espindola, at first it looked like was going to come straight to him, and he had almost an easy chance. And then it it on on in real time it looked like Espindola just did not run fast enough. But then on the replay, you see the ball just wasn't moving quickly towards him, so he had to sort of reach out. And I I don't even think he got his toe on that. I think it was like the studs of his shoe rolled that that shot in the end that had no chance of getting in. But um. That was the kind of thing that was encouraging to me to see Acosta. He looked for a spindola. Uh, it it wasn't on, and he still had the quickness of the quick feet and the presence of mind to sort of give himself the room to take that shot. Um, that's something United didn't have a lot of last year. Uh, in that particular, I mean, this was right on the top of the box, right down the middle. Um, that's something that we didn't really see much of last season. So that's a, a big positive. Um, it is going to take some time. Espindola is a very odd player to work with. Acosta's only been there for about two weeks now. So um, all of those things are, they, they need time and you need time in training and you need time in games. Um, the good news is that Acosta was finding a way. He, he wasn't, it wasn't like he had to combine with Espindola to get something going. He was also finding other players and getting involved in other ways like that. So um it's not for me. It's not just about looking at whether Acosta and Espindola is a good partnership. It's it's how involved are Espindola and Rolf when the balls to that or not Espindola Acosta and Rolf on that side. Um, he did seem Acosta did seem to have more of a tendency to go towards Rolf. Um, part of that is Espindola likes to drift left too, so the whole thing sort of tilted that way. Um, if Acosta can get out to the right a little and combine with Niarco, or if those three can sort of drag teams into um, defending United's left side, because what that means is if you get people to collapse, if you get teams to collapse a bunch of players towards one side of the field, you if you get your head up and swing it out wide quickly, you're going to get Niarco going one-on-one with someone, which is something that didn't happen in this game, but needs to happen frequently for United. Um, if, that, if they can start doing that and getting Niarco on the ball, they're going to be much more dangerous because then teams are not going to be able to collapse um, they're going to have to choose collapse on three skillful players and see if you can get the ball or don't collapse and then let those three come at you. Um, if, if Niarco can stretch teams to the right, those three on the left all of a sudden become a, a very dangerous group. Um, and it also helps that De Leon and Sarvas, I think, play a little more of a, a style that matches with what Acosta would want to do. Then if mm-hmm. Acosta had shown up last year with Arnold and, and Kitchen, I don't know that I would have as much of an expectation for him. He still would have done very well, I think, but um, the fact that it's a more technical team on the field now, I think that helps. I think that w- helps Acosta quite a bit. I think he would be, I mean, I'm only, it's hypothetical, but it seems like he would struggle a little more playing on a team that wasn't trying to keep the ball in the ground and, and trying to play mm-hmm. a little possession, um, possession as a defensive weapon as well, as well as uh, for the attacking reasons. Um, so overall, I think, uh, it's not just about 
can he get an understanding with a spindle? It, that's a big thing, but um, I want to see that whole group, that whole front six work together. Um, and then once that gets going, then you can start seeing Taylor Kemp getting involved a little more, which we saw, you know, he hit the crossbar and he had one good crossing opportunity that he, that he didn't really do anything with. He, he mishit pretty badly. Um, once mm-hmm. you start seeing that happen, uh, then the attack really becomes very diverse and very unpredictable. And that's, that's, I think the end game, but we'll see. Hopefully it gets here, you know, end of March more than, you know, if we're still in mid May and we're like, well, I hope this attack starts to gel sometime soon, then we might have a problem on our hands. Yeah. At that yeah. point, it's, it's taking too long. Uh, you brought up a good point, Jason, the, the attack really went down the middle in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Kemp got the ball in space a couple of times out on the left, like you said, but Niarco really never did on, on the right side. Some people are saying that they'd rather see Miguel Aguilar who missed this game for yellow card accumulation. They'd rather see him start the game, uh, this Tuesday at RFK rather than Niarco. Uh, Ben, what do you think? Uh, do you think it's just Niar- like the team needs to find Niarco a little more? Do you think Niarco needs to do a bit more to get himself involved? Um, and and would you rather see Aguilar out there? No, I think you give Niarco – you definitely give Niarco another game. I mean, he is a proven MLS veteran. Uh, he's got proven experience out on that right-hand flank. He's a good player who can uh, create from that wide position. So you definitely have to give him another game. Uh this coming game, unlike the last one, you have the advantage of bringing in Miguel Aguilar as the first sub. Uh, I mean, no offense to Rob Vincent, but Rob Vincent hasn't had the time to uh, get integrated with this team that Miguel Aguilar has had. And so Aguilar is definitely going to be the first wide sub off of the bench uh, on the coming this next Tuesday, whether it be for Rolf or for uh, Patrick Niarco. And so I think you have to start him again. And then if it's not working out, you can bring uh, Aguilar on in Branco time uh, around the 55th <laughs> minute. Or if you want to leave him, uh, leave Niarco on uh, or Rolf on a little longer, you bring him on in the 65th ish minute. Just to, just to add to this um, going with the attack, um, while Ben was talking, I was bringing this up. Um, uh, according to MLS's chalkboard, DC had seven key passes that happened in the center channel of the field and two on set pieces and then five from the wings. And only one of those was from the right. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a markedly different look. United last year was a lot of their key passes happened out on the wings. Uh, we've talked about Franklin and Kemp having a lot of key passes and those guys weren't having key passes down the middle. Um, so it's definitely a change looking at that real quick. It's um, to see uh, Acosta popping up. He, you know, he had three key passes. Uh, Spindola actually did have, I think f- he had three, but one of them was a corner. Um, but in any case, the m- important thing here is United's creating from the middle more than last year. Um, and, you know, adding a little wrinkle with that uh, long throw, that's one of them is the um, – DeLeon doing a long throw and I guess Corretero seeing Steve Birnbaum come forward and not registering that that is because they're going to try and make a threat out of this because um, they ended up going one-on-one with him, which was uh, – I don't think we're going to get away with that in MLS. I don't think we will be able to catch te- – teams are going to notice when Steve Birnbaum decides to come <laughs> forward on a throw-in, um, but you never know. I mean, there are teams that are just not prepared that uh, – Colorado. 
well, we only get to play them once. Um, but teams teams that are in a in a crisis might have more things to work on. They just might not have the time to work on a set piece like that. And you might be able to catch them uh, asleep. But the Chicago main thing at is, least once we should be able to catch. Uh, you'd think so. Um, I don't know how how much Panovich wants to work on that, but he has plenty to work on, so he might be too busy. That's what um, I'm thinking. But you know, seeing De Leon uh, in the middle that that changes things a little bit. You end up with more of a creative presence uh, through him in the middle. Uh, Sarvas, I think, is actually, in an ideal world, Sarvas is partnering someone who's a little more conservative than him, um, which means, which, and the reason is that he can create things going forward. He can, he's not a playmaker per se, but he's going to make aggressive runs uh, a, a few times a game. Uh, his passing is good enough where he can create stuff. And I think as time goes on, one thing that United needs to add with Sarvas is the ability to dip underneath the midfield and between the lines and then play cross field balls, either switching the point of the attack to the right or to the left, because that was the thing that actually more than anything else, that's what got him into MLS was when he was with Alajuelense and the galaxy were planning on life without Beckham. They thought he was going to leave. Uh, they didn't sign Sarvas and then Beckham didn't leave, um, which is inconvenient for Sarvas. Um, but Sarvas had that in his repertoire. He was dropping underneath the rest of the midfield for Alajolense and swinging the ball to the right and left and creating real danger uh, from positions where it didn't seem like there was going to be much. All of a sudden, the other team is having to be on their back foot and really spread out trying to defend someone on the wing. Um, that's, I think, the next wrinkle for United is mixing in. Um, these are the good kind of long ball. Um the kind of long ball that like Will Trapp, for example, gets praised a lot for um, because he plays long much more than you'd think. But it's because he's it, it, it's an attacking long ball with a purpose. It's a Michael not Bradley a long ball. Right. It's not a I need this ball to go upfield now. Um, there's a there's a thought behind it. Um, that's, I think, the next wrinkle for the center uh, of the field with United. Um, and we might see um, the interesting prospect here is not just Niarco with speed down the right Um Lamar Nagel, uh, once he's not out because of the, the cup tied factor, um, he'll be able to use his speed up front or on the left. Acosta should be able to put his speed to good use, whether it's drifting out to the wing and then chasing something down like that. Um, so that's the next thing I want to see is to see Sarva starting to find, um, those passing opportunities to stretch the field out vertically and get the attack moving a little faster. Um, but I think overall, um, as much as it sucks to lose, you've got to say that this was an encouraging performance pretty much in every portion of the field. Um, it was better than I think any, anyone out there was expecting, including neutrals, including people that actively dislike DC United, and including fans. I think going going to Mexico and playing at altitude was always uh, it was pretty unlikely to work out. And the fact that they could have come away with this, if not for just a little, uh, an inch here and there, or, um, you know, one great goal by a player that, you know, if Candelo takes that shot 10 times, how many does he put into the stands? Um, so sometimes it's not your night. Uh, and that's a better re it's better to lose two nothing on an, it's not your night kind of night than to just get slaughtered and be like, wow, two nothing is actually kind of okay. <laughs> like last um, year. Yeah, this, like is, last this year. is a much better yeah. performance than what we saw last year against Salah. Who and, and I know we're, we're about to end the segment, but to, to compare it to that one real quick, that game never felt like it was under control. That game was like mm-hmm. a, an out of control car speeding down a long hill. And you knew it was going to fly off the mountain at some point. 
Um, even United scored goals and it still was like, this game is utter chaos. It's play, it's being played at a thousand miles an hour. It's terrible for us. United on Tuesday, they actually did a great job of keeping control of the tempo of the game. There were very few stretches when, especially in the first 70 minutes, when before United lost their legs a little bit, there were very few stretches of that game where it felt like Corretro was in total control and was playing at a high tempo that was going to eventually mm-hmm. pay off. Um, United really, they effectively slowed the game. Now, it wasn't like against New York in the playoffs where they slowed the game down by playing long and New York was just like, all right, fine, we'll just wait until we get our chance to score because it'll come. Um, this was a slowing the game down but not destroying the game kind of kind of uh, way of playing, and it was effective. And every team in the league does that sort of thing when they go on the road, especially at altitude against a team from Mexico. That's just going to be a common tactic. So um, United did a better job of that than I, I was expecting. So it's an encouraging sign for the MLS season going forward. And maybe, you know, two nothing at home is not undoable either. It's not an impossible uh, thing to pull off. Yeah. That was my last question for, for you guys. Is there a chance on Tuesday? Yes. Sure. As long as as they don't give up a goal, I think they've got a significant chance, but if they give up one, they're sunk. Um, Yeah. It's keeping, it's a weird situation to need two goals and have not conceding as your first priority, but that's, that's the way it is. You concede one, you need four. Yeah, that's the nature of the the two-legged tie. So uh, that game, Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, RFK Stadium. Be there. Seriously, go. It's part of your season ticket holder package if you are a season ticket holder. If not, it'll be on Fox Sports 2, which you probably don't get. So go to the stadium to watch the game. With that plea out of the way, we will be right back with Matt Doyle. So stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and, yeah. And, not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So Ehrlich Law Office, it's a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So guys, for a free consultation, go to Ehrlich Law Office dot com slash filibuster welcome back to filibuster the black and red united podcast it's now time for our annual preview of mls we're going to look around the rest of the league uh, and for the second year in a row we are lucky enough to have mlssoccer.com's armchair analyst matthew doyle here with us matt welcome back to filibuster it's good to be back, guys. It's been a long year. Yeah, last year, uh, I don't know if you remember, but it, it basically involved the three of us all messing up our drinks in hilariously hilarious ways that led to more debauchery than it probably should have. I'm not going to promise you that didn't happen tonight, <laughs> but I'm, I'm you drinking. I, yeah, I'm not coming in on three hours sleep, so at least there's that. <laughs> 
So Matt, what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I have a, a 2012 Tempranillo from Urbano Cellars, which is a little winery out here in Berkeley. I have uh, come up in the world, you know? <laughs> good, good. You are certainly pretty fancy tonight. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that really sort of embraced over the past year, this is five years now that I've lived out here, is just how much cheaper it is to be a wino out here than a beer snob. You could go get a, a pretty good bottle of red wine for about $6, uh, whereas a good six-pack will run you twice that. So easy math. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, they're both more expensive out here in D.C., so you have my Everything jealousy, is. sir. <laughs> yes. So I got I to gotta put you on the spot at the outset. You were asked recently which MLS team had the worst offseason this winter. And this is a DC United podcast, so obviously we noted when you said the answer was DC United. Is that still your answer at this point? I think so. Uh, I mean, you, you lost your starting central midfield. Um, and the guys who, who have come in, I mean, Marcelo Sarvas was great the other night, but he's not, he's not going to be able to play 30 games like that. Um, I don't know what Halsty brings, really, um, which is kind of incredible. Uh, I don't think that's Daly Allen's position. And I, I guess Colin Martin and, and Jared Jeffrey don't figure in. And Acosta, the, the new guy, I mean, he can't play in central midfield in, in Olsen's system. So that's tough. And then having Bill Hamid hurt for, you know, six months or however long it's going to be, that's tough as well. The only real center forward on the roster is, you know, 34 years old and injury prone in Sabo. Um, I, I just, I get it. I know that they're hamstrung in terms of what they can spend on. And this is not Seattle or Toronto or NYCFC or the Galaxy. Um, but it's just, it. I, I don't see this as a roster that can compete across multiple competitions for an entire year. I, I, I see a lot of what you're saying. Obviously, I hope you're wrong. <laughs> um, and Ben Olsen has said they have another bullet in there in the chamber that they can pull the trigger on after they see what what goes down in the, the first part of the year. So hopefully for once we see for the first time, I think, since Christian Gomez, we'll see an impact midseason signing. However, the season is going. On the other I side mean, of the ledger. The, oh, go ahead. The, I was going to say you, you might need that, but I, I look at it as. Probably need two bullets. You know, I, I, I don't think that Saborio is a starter anymore at this point in his career. And I think that we saw against Queretaro just how dysfunctional it can look if you don't have that true target forward up there to, to sort of be the fulcrum that the other guys play off of. Everything with, uh, with Espindola and, and Acosta and, and Rolf cutting in, it was all sort of ad hoc and not, um, I don't want to say not predictable, but is, there are certain things you look for, and I'm not sure that there was anybody in this energy channel who was consistently drawing defenders to them in order to create space on the wings for the other guys. So I think that's a bullet that needs to be fired, and I do think central midfield is another bullet that needs to be fired. So I think you, you probably need at least two, um, and that's just to keep up. That's not to I, – I don't think that'll be enough for them to overtake uh, the other teams in the East. So on the the other end of the spectrum, I guess, who would you say had the best offseason this year? I like what Toronto FC did. Uh, I, I mean, 
they got half the defense from a, a team that gave up only like 40 goals last year in, in Moore and, and Quint Irwin. And then you added Betashore as well. And suddenly what was a real weakness for them um, starts to look pretty good. Uh, so that that's a good one. I mean, there, there were a lot of teams who were busy um, and maybe had good off seasons, but you can't, you can't tell until you really tried it out on the field. Like I actually kind of like some of the stuff that Colorado did, which is shocking, but like I, I actually do like some of it and I could see how there may be one or two pieces away. So it, this is a team that otherwise had a kind of an embarrassing off season, but <laughs> they actually might've gotten it right with their last three moves. So it, it's, you know, it, it is tough to say at this point. Uh, Matt, I, I guess um, I'm going to kind of go after some of the bigger names, um, some of the bigger clubs anyway. Um, I've noticed the Red Bulls have uh, apparently been experimenting with a little bit of a formation change. Uh, uh, allegedly, a, I haven't seen them play in preseason, but I've read that they're trying a more of a 4-2-2-2 um, rather than last year's 4-2-3-1, which once that got going, there was no reason to change it at all. Um, do you think that's a good idea, or or is it is it an experiment that's going to kind of go away once the games get real? Well, I think if they had this four two 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 in the bag against Columbus, and they would have been they would have made MLS Cup last year, um, because I think that there are certain times uh, where you need to be able to flood the box, especially with a guy who's as impressive in the air as uh, a bong is. Uh, for he's, I mean, I, I don't know if he's as good as Laren, but he's not. It's not super far away from that. Um, so being able to put that out there with, uh, you know, him and Bradley Wright Phillips and being able to sort of change the shape of the distribution a little bit, uh, that's a club they didn't have in the bag last season. And I think it makes sense to experiment with it uh, and make sure that they do have it in the bag uh, for when situations demand it, because they will. You know, the Red Bulls got scouted by October of last year. I mean, really earlier than that, but. They did get scouted, and uh, Greg Berhalter did a great job against them in, in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, that was pretty much that for, for New York's hopes. So if they want to be able to, to go that one step further, uh, they need to have different looks to throw at you. Um, I guess to go to the, the other side of the country, um, the Galaxy are, on one hand, uh, full of giant names. Um, and some of them can play pretty well when the Galaxy have the ball. But I can't personally. I can't get past the suspicion that they're not going to be able. They can hide Gerard, but they can't hide hide Gerard and Ashley Cole over the course of a season. Um, do you think that's going to be the case? Or I mean, basically, it looks to me like Nigel Dijon has to be like a hero um, all year, especially on a team that plays Zardes and um, Emmanuel Boateng. Most likely, it looks like uh, on the left. So, what do you think is going to happen there? Do you think Bruce can actually pull this one off, or is this too much? I mean, if it was anybody but Bruce, I, I would, I would be laughing and I, I would, I would expect this to just collapse in upon itself like a, you know, like a black hole. Um, but because Bruce's history is what it is, you can't, I mean, I can't ignore it. I, I can't say that I expect it to go wrong. Um, that said, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't see how Gerard, uh, and DeJong will, will function correctly in that central midfield because DeJong isn't just a sit and protect guy. He's a run around and destroy guy. Um, and so Gerard is going to have to show a level of uh, 
defensive awareness that was kind of absent from his game last year. Um, Ashley Cole, I, I was shocked Santos didn't exploit it, but he can obviously be had for pace. Um, so that means that LA will have to sit deep and counter, which I, I guess they can do, but it's been a long time since a purely counterattacking team won anything in, in MLS. Um, and then I still don't like, I, I still don't like the, the forward balance with, with Gio and Keane. They want the ball in the same spots and they want to do the same things and they don't make great runs for each other. I mean, they could do it in transition, but not so much from, from possession. I, I do think that LA needs to have uh, more of a pure inside the box target guy to use. It, it can be Zardes, even though, I mean, he's, he's more of a hybrid. Um, but then that would put Gio out on the wing where he has to defend and he, has bounced from team to team to team in his career because he just refuses to defend. So there's like, I, I definitely see more questions and answers with the galaxy. Uh, and like I said, at the top of this long winded answer, if it wasn't Bruce, I would, I would be laughing. I would say there's no way this works. You, you should never feel bad for long winded answers on this show. Uh, Coming yeah. from Jason, that yeah. I, <laughs> remarkably on the nose. Yeah, uh, I would have probably had like ten more minutes and involved like six more teams and probably a movie at some point. Thankfully, um, the deadline to bring you on the show, Matt, made us cut Jason off. Yes, uh, <laughs> I actually actually or kept a segment short because I saw the clock for once. Um, I guess I'll close on um, FC Dallas. Um, to me, at least, there's no team I think I would rather watch. Um, circumstances aside, just hypothetically, if you showed me the 20 teams and said you're going to get to watch one of these teams play, I, I should say, assuming Moro Diaz is on the field, um, that's the team I would want to watch the most. Do you think there's anyone that's going to contend with them aesthetically? Um, maybe the Timbers, maybe Columbus, but is there anyone else that's like a surprise um, neutrals favorite this year? See, I actually didn't think they were all that much fun to watch outside of Diaz, even at their best, um, they they're very fast and and they're very uh, they're very direct and aggressive, but they weren't the the cleverest team and they weren't the most intricate team again, other than than Diaz. Uh, so I, I don't, I'm not sure I ever agreed with that ranking for for FC Dallas, though I know a ton of people really like them. Um, I think Seattle's going to be a ton of fun to watch this year, based upon what we know of those guys uh, and the way Dempsey played, uh, you know, inverted on the left in that sort of similar position to how he played for, uh, for Bob Bradley with the U S national team and a little bit at Fulham. Uh, I do like watching the Red Bulls a lot. I, I think they're actually, I, I know you guys aren't going to like this, but I think they're uh, <laughs> uh, sort of underrated um, in terms of, of aesthetically what they bring to the game. Obviously, I think a lot of people like the crew. I think if uh, Iguain had as good a passing touch as Diaz, they would arguably be the the most fun team to watch in MLS history. Uh, Iguain's movement is brilliant, but his touch can come and go. Uh, other than that, I mean, Vancouver has some promise, but they play on that rug. It's, it's just concrete, so it looks like ping pong. Um, and Toronto is it right now. They're sitting Michael Bradley deep, 
as a pure number six with the, you know, triangle in front of him. I think it'd be Osorio and, and, and Johnson. And if you do that with Jovinko playing inverted on the left and let's pretend Josie's healthy and can, he can play as the, the center forward, like that can, that could actually be kind of fun. Uh, for for more than just how is it going to fall apart because it's Toronto FC reasons. So, <laughs> so people who listen to this uh, podcast regularly will know of my dislike for Orlando City, but um, <laughs> they they've done some kind of interesting wait a minute, things. Wait a minute. What is the, what is the root of your dislike for Orlando City? <laughs> uh, I'm a, it goes I'm, all the way back to USL for him. Yes, I'm, I'm a Richmond Kickers fan as well as oh, a United go. fan and Rich and the Richmond Kickers Orlando City rivalry was hot and heavy uh when they were still in USL. So Okay. So does Richmond have a a presumptive rivalry with the Orlando City B team? Uh not as much that it was mostly just a general dislike for how arrogant Orlando City was even in USL. <laughs> Excellent. I like that. I like that's a good hot take. So continue. Yes. So I personally have continued that uh dislike after they've moved to MLS, but they've had an interesting off season, uh, especially intertwined with uh DC United with uh Antonio Nocerino. So I, I was wondering, do you think they're actually a better team this year and do you think they actually can make the playoffs this year or have they just kind of mucked around and ended up in the same spot? I mean, it's, it's a good question, right? Because if they hadn't had so much offseason drama, I would pencil them in for the playoffs. I would say absolutely this team, you know, Laren, Rivas imp- improved a ton over the course of the year. Iguita, Iguita is, is, I think, really, really good and really underappreciated. Rakshay is going to be better at left back. They might have figured some stuff out in center defense. Like, I would have absolutely said, yes, this team is going to be competing for the playoffs. But, the, I mean, the offseason drama, I know it's not supposed to to impact what's happening on the field and you keep that stuff compartmentalized. Can you, can you keep that compartmentalized when your boss is changing every week? You know, when you, when you go through three guys in one offseason? It, it, it's, it, it's tough to there, – there's not a great history for – MLS clubs that have unstable front offices. Um, and I think we saw that over the years in Philly. So I, 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 I think I am very, very wary of that uh, if I'm looking at Orlando City. And I'm not sure that Nocerino makes them better. I think he might actually just end up taking minutes away from Higita or Saren, yeah. who I thought were really good mm-hmm. the last month and a half of last season. And, I mean, anybody who... who you know, reads my stuff or listens to podcast or whatever knows that I'm a, a big proponent of chemistry and cohesion, especially year over year. And Orlando city doesn't, I mean, if they're starting Nocerino, they're not going to have that in central midfield. And that's huge. I think that could end up costing them points at the start of the season and points you drop in March have a way of coming back to haunt you uh, come November. Yep. And then my other question is, um, about one of DC United's other competitors in the East. Mm-hmm. Uh, the New England Revolution have also had an interesting offseason, and it looks like as of right now, they're going to be without uh, Jermaine Jones. Uh, yeah. People have, there have been different, differing opinions on whether or not they might even be better without Jermaine Jones. But uh, what do you think is going to be the, res- the resolution of that situation? And do you think they are actually better if 
Jones doesn't come back. I, I think they have a better shot at the Supporter Shield, but a worse shot at MLS Cup. Uh, I think that any team Jermaine Jones plays on because he's so resistant to structure and role and formation and, <laughs> you know, game planning, essentially, <laughs> he he becomes the dominant on-field personality. And I don't just mean yelling at the ref or pushing the ref. I, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, how the team is going to be shaped. The, the whole thing has to be on his terms. And in a, in a short run like the playoffs, when he's going to be – healthy and available for most of it, you, know, you can live with that. You, you can say, all right, you know, this guy is, I mean, he's really good. If he, if he hadn't been such a nut on the field, he'd have been playing for Germany for the last 10 years. Uh, so you, you live with that for a short stretch, but if you know, he's going to miss six games to start the season and you know, he's going to miss games on, you know, U S national team duty. And you know, he's going to get a couple of red cards and you know, he's probably going to have an injury at some point as well. Can you afford over the course of the season to have your dominant personality player uh, be gone for 40 or 50 or 60 percent of the time? I don't I don't think so. I mean, to me, it reminds me a lot of, of Mateus back with the Metro Stars in 2000. Now, they actually put together a pretty good year, but it was in spite of, not because of. Gershon Kofi is going to play that the, the Jones role, I think, for the Revs this year. And he's not as good a player, but he's a hell of a talent who will be around for 30 to 34 games. Uh, and I, I think you can build week over week consistency uh, and, and chemistry with that. And I, I think that his best skill set defensively, which is covering ground and offensively, which is spreading the ball early and accurate, accurately to the flanks really meshes well with what New England want to do. Um, so I think it was kind of a slam dunk. That said, come the playoffs, they might occasionally be at a talent differential just because Jones really is a phenomenal individual. Matt, I was looking back at last year's uh, standings and something jumped out to me and it actually made me do a little bit of math, which uh, I am really generally not inclined to do. Eastern Conference was involved in a lot more goals than the Western Conference. They ended up scoring as a group 57 more goals and allowing 93 more goals than the Western Conference. Do you think that was down to good offense, bad defense? Where do you think the the answer lies, and, and will we see more of the same this year? I mean, it, it, I think it's you, you had two expansion teams, uh, and obviously expansion teams always struggle defensively. And then you had, you know, a couple of train wrecks in uh, in Chicago and Philly. And then on top of it, you had a team that in, in Toronto was all one-sided in how they were built. So I think it's less of an East-West thing than more of a just a kind of a happenstance. It, it coalesced into this. Um, that said, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this year is going to be that much better. Looking through the Eastern Conference, I don't see anybody who I think who that's a dominant defense. You know, I, I look at I look at Portland and you know what they did, and I say, well, I mean, obviously. Nat Borchers has to stay healthy, but even so, they became a dominant defense over the course of the season. I think Dallas has the pieces to be a dominant defense. Mm-hmm. Vancouver has the pieces to be a dominant defense. Uh, Seattle, before all the injuries, were really, really good. I don't see anything on that level uh, in the Eastern Conference. 
So I, I think from that point of view, I, I would expect there to be uh, a variance uh, from from east to west, uh, just as there was last year. Uh, but the underlying root of it is tough to tough to suss out. Yeah, left unsaid there was the fact that the Western Conference was 40 goals better on aggregate than the Eastern Conference, which um, is a lot of goals. Uh, last thing we have here is a series of MLS superlatives for the coming year. Who do you expect to have these honors on the end of the year, um, be it teams or players or storylines or whatever? Who is your? Who do you think will be the biggest surprise this year? What do you think will be the biggest surprise in 2016? Oh, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought of these yet. Um, great, we get, the first, we get the yeah, first. Yeah, right. You, you get the first crack <laughs> and the awkward silence. Isn't this going to be great radio for you guys? Uh, <laughs> It'll be just more of the same. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, right. the complaint yeah. goes. Yeah. Um, I. I I, I'm not sure. I, uh, I guess I'll say uh, San Jose because I think people are writing them off. And that's another team I look at and I say, if they stay healthy, that's a dominant defense. And then I look at what the Ameriqua-Wando partnership did in the second half of last season. Remember, they didn't have Ameriqua in the first half. It, look, it's not going to be pretty, but it's going to be effective. And people aren't going to like it. And That's earthquake soccer. Yeah, San Jose is going to be there uh, come November, I think. On the flip side, what's the biggest disappointment this year? L.A. I, I mean, I, I, I'm sure that that some people will not be disappointed at all. Um, Am I grinning? Do you yeah, see my grin? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I, uh, I I don't think that's – I just don't think it's going to work. I mean, e- even with Bruce, it's so tough to see how this is going to work. Who's the first coach to get fired this year? Oh, I don't like speculating about that. People's okay, jobs that's fair. Uh, which player will get the most yellow cards in 2016? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, Van Dam and De Jong are, are both probably <laughs> favorites in the clubhouse, right? Um, did I just use that turn of phrase correctly? I'm not sure I did. Uh, <laughs> I think that means you're... Yeah, I actually don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to... <laughs> um, not a golfer. Right. Uh Ozzy Alonso is always a good bet, especially because he's playing that pure defensive role now where they're kind of begging for, for the occasional cynical foul. Um, but I, I'm actually going to gonna go out on a limb. I'm going to say it is going to be Kyle Beckerman. Uh, I just think that he's going to play more games this year because uh, I don't think he's going to be in the national team picture. And he's always been a vicious fouler. He's never had this this reputation but he fouls a lot and he fouls hard uh and in the 4-3-3 playing that role they give out give up a lot more runouts and he knows that he's not going to keep up with a lot of the attackers in this league so i I think he's going to pick up more than his fair share what team is the most likely to end a game with nine men on the field Hmm. that's I mean, can I say LA again? Um, sure, that's fine. <laughs> I, 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 I think, I think LA's up there. Um, I don't know. There, there's something about Toronto with Perkey and 
and Wilt Johnson, I could just see them losing their minds and, and, and both get it. Like one gets a red card and the other gets a red card complaining it, you know? So I, I, I could see that from TFC. Um, I mean, maybe Montreal cause they got a, I, Donatel is probably who I should have said for a yellow card thing. So like, He's he's a you know a yellow and then a red waiting to happen and, and as great as Simon is he's a lunatic so he could you know he could be a red card any game as well so somebody from that group I just sort of talked around a little bit. What player is most likely to be a 2016 MLS Cup studio analyst? What player is most like? Oh wow. Who's going to be sitting yeah, I got next you. to Alexi or or John Strong or uh, Russ Thaler? Um, I I mean, Dax is on that track, right? The dude, it, right? But he, this season, if you say Dax is going to be there for this year, yeah, I don't, Cup, I don't I'm think they're happy with that because it means yeah. the Red Bulls aren't in the game. <laughs> I don't, I don't think they're going to be in the game. I, I think that they're, I mean, they're. The Miazga Paranel pairing was such a big part of what they did last year, and I'm not sure that I, I would be surprised if they could replicate it. So I, I think Dax is probably a, a great bet. Sorry, uh, I'm grinning again. Yeah, Steven Gerrard is probably a great bet. Um, could go out on a limb and say Josie. Uh, Josie would be would be interesting there as well, uh, and I don't think I don't think Toronto's making MLS Cup either. Yeah, you like that as a Eight months too soon prediction. There you go. <laughs> See, that that was my secret way to ask yeah. who's not going to be an MLS Cup. All right, last one for me. Uh, most likely team to win the 2018 CONCACAF Champions League. Most likely from MLS? Yes. Or can I just say? Okay. Well, yeah, most likely from MLS. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll narrow the universe. Wait, where are we at? So this one Wait, coming up so like This one coming up will be the 16-17 most right. likely to win the one where the final is played in 2018. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> so the qualification will be this season. I'm just going to uh, say, yeah, who's set up for yeah. the future and for this year, basically? Yeah, I get what you're saying. Even Master Yoda cannot see the future. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know, man. I I, I like um, I like the Revs because they have so many guys in their prime. Um, and I think they're going to be good this year. I like, uh, like I said, I like San Jose, but they got too many guys who are old. Uh, probably, it probably is FC Dallas or Vancouver. Uh, those guys, mm-hmm. they just have so many guys who are in that 23 to 28 year old range. That's really the sweet spot for teams that can perform well over long periods across multiple competitions. Uh, Not the Richmond kickers. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I they'll have to win the open cup, which would mean knocking DC out most likely because that's become an almost annual game uh with the open cup being geographic. I was actually disappointed not to end up in Richmond last year, which is a rare thing for me to say. Um <laughs> but anyway, um my question might even be more nonsensical than than Adams because mine is uh who who which player is going to be the most Thomas McNamara player that is not named Thomas McNamara? <laughs> mm. Well, the, the the implication is someone who is beloved by certain segments of the soccer Twitterati, <laughs> or the implication is someone whose soccer skills uh, and athletic skills are not readily apparent upon 
upon first watch. Uh, wh- which implication were you aiming for? Um, I wasn't. <laughs> really, any, any answer you produce is probably going to be uh, amusing enough because the question is utter nonsense. Um, mm-hmm. But Jason, I've spent a portion of the that day segment of the Twitterati. Yeah, I, I've spent a portion of the day looking at pictures of Thomas McNamara and Andrea Pirlo having fun uh, together in, in a delightful manner. So I can't not bring him up again. Okay, I get what you're saying. Um, uh, I mean, let, let's just say something fun is going to happen uh, with the new Chicago Fire guys. I've seen a couple videos, and they all seem to enjoy each other. And I know that's a locker room that hated each other last year. So uh, let's say let's say something ridiculous and happy and, and kind of amusing comes out of that. And, and right. some good soccer. They have some players there. Chicago could probably use uh, some joy uh, after mm-hmm. last year, so um, that's very charitable. <laughs> I, 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 I try to spread joy. That is that is my mo. Saint Matt, they call him in Chicago now. Indeed. Well, Matt, thanks for coming on the show. That's all we've got for you. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Yeah, you can find uh, all my columns at MLSsoccer.com. Look for uh, Armchair Analyst, and you can find me on Twitter at MLS Analyst. Uh, and you can find me on various podcasts, having a nice glass of wine and uh, chatting about soccer with nerds like these guys. <laughs> so it's a good life you lead there. It is. It is. It is my best life. Everyone find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters, hate mail, and advertising. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. We're all over the place. But mostly, tell a friend about us when you uh, are tailgating on Tuesday night before the throw game. So for Jason and Ben and thanking Matt Doyle once again, I am Adam, and we will talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Thomas McNamara. <laughs>